Uh, today we are supposed to speak on uh, 2 Peter 3, uh, but before that, give me a five minutes to say a few words about some of the things that I have been doing because of uh, Gerald Landis being a, ha a hinge man. Many years ago, I read a book by Billy Graham in which he spoke about hinge, and hinge men are usually unknown people, but who had an influence on men of, who became great men of God, like the, the man who persuaded uh, Spurgeon to go down to London, or the, the Sunday school teacher that was able to encourage his Sunday school student not to be a lawyer, but to go and be a preacher. I can't remember if that was Moody or if it was Billy Sunday or whatever. And often some of us will be hinged men, and we don't even know it, that we may do something or persuade someone to do something, and they become mighty for God, and we don't hear of them. And Landis sent two men to me, one from Zambia, and we were able to share some scriptures with him and all things that come on my, in my inbox that I find that he may be able to use because the fellows in Africa may not be able to buy books and things like that we can do, get here. And many people there listen to MacArthur and some of the leading preachers, Swindoll and others like that, and they learn a lot from these people. They have to translate into their, into their tongue to teach their people. So we were doing that. And the guy in Zambia, we were also able to assist him in being better at um, being a tent maker. As you know, in our assemblies, um, we don't have paid workers. And so workers usually are referred to as tent makers. And that is a, 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 a concept from Acts chapter 18, which is practiced mostly by brethren. I don't know of any other group that practice this thing of being hinged man. And he has been doing fairly well, growing peppers and, and raising maggots to feed his chickens and all kinds of things. That's quite nice. And then he sent me this guy in Kenya, and we, the full hinged man, uh, Irvin and, and Larry and the church, uh, after a prayer meeting, one of them... Um, Sunday night meetings at 8 o'clock. We prayed, and I turned over and I sleep. And when I got up at 8 the next morning, I got an email from Paul Irving that the Bibles were bought. And the Bibles were delivered to the agency of this missionary Vargas, who knew the brother that we were dealing with. He had taught him. And so he was quite happy to do what he did. He actually paid to have the Bible sent. And I have never had a prayer that was answered so quickly. That was amazing. So thanks for the assembly in participating in that way. And then, that was in April. In May, I went on Zoom to the annual conference of my own church, and there was a brother who was of incension and an elder in one of our services in Bermuda, and he was a speaker. He mentioned a man that he heard speak about milk. And I said, why is he talking about me? I don't think he has to know he's talking about me. But he heard me speak about milk from 1 Peter 2, 2 in St. John's Antigua in 2003 when I was teaching there. And then he mentioned this guy who was giving goats to his widows in his church so that they could have milk and so on. And I said, I've got to get to know this guy. So I got to know this guy and he was happy to hear from me. But one of the first things he said 
You know the guy that sent Bibles to my church? My church called some of those Bibles because the fellow that he sent the Bibles to, I thought he wanted for himself, but he shared them amongst the eight assemblies in the group of that particle. And uh, we have been, we launched something called Milk and Meat for Kenyan Widows, and some people here have graciously donated, and other people in Barbados uh, so far have donated, and we were able so far to um, satisfy the needs of uh, five of the eight churches that we wanted to, and we just have three more churches to go for the first phase of this program. So I hope that um, some of you will, who are not yet donated will, will, will step up and, and send some of your loose change. You don't have to send a lot. Uh, we had a good uh, Guyanese cricketer who used to say he wanted to make 100, and he said 100 wands to 100. And he was quite prepared to make his 100 in singles. He didn't, want, he didn't necessarily hit fours and sixes. He's had 100 walls with 100. So if you got a little bit here, a little bit there, you're going to do what we are doing. So that's my little report as a result of the hinge work that uh, our Gerald Landis from the, the Spanish Assembly next door, our Spanish Assembly, is doing. So if I was smarter, I would have offered to have taught Second Peter chapter 2 because I actually taught it way back in the 1980s at Erie Hill Gospel Hall. And I'll tell you a story about that. I taught it to Monday night, and then I was invited to go down to town, one of the bigger churches in town, to speak. And I went down there, and I teach the same thing, just a lovely outline for the first half, all essays and so on. And a youngster came up. He's an elder now. He said, Dr. Brooks, you are not so very hot tonight. <laughs> so he went away and wondered why he would say that. And I came to the conclusion that I had not warmed the food. I, I had the food and gave it the first time. So I went down and I delivered it. But what I learned from that, I did not go over it for that second giving. Sometimes if you preach often, you may have to preach a second time on the same message. Always warm the food. And I have taught this ever since all around the world. Always warm the food. Don't share cold food. And I've been trying for the last couple of weeks to, to warm uh, Second Peter 3. And I have on my desktop about seven versions or attempts or, of, of this. So I hope that this one comes out a little uh, uh, palatable. Uh, and today, we're not going to proceed by doing an exegesis of the passage as we may normally do, because I found it very difficult to... to, to, to contain what I need to say in about 40 to 50 PowerPoints. 40 to 50 PowerPoints is about what happens when I come here. Um, and we will not do a chapter study, the, the conventional chapter study doing that format. We will just attempt some little analysis of the chapter um, as time permits. I'm sitting because um, I'm, I got up to, today with two bad knees, two painful knees, on which I fell in the past. The purpose of 2 Peter 3 is intensely practical. He has written of the return of Christ not to arouse idle speculation or to occasion bitter disputes between scoffers that we will meet and believers, but to make better believers. This is written to believers. That's the first thing that we want to get from 2 Peter 3. It's written to believers. It has a lot to do with scoffers, and they are real. I never knew 
that they had scoffers. I never met scoffers before until I was, I had put some articles on Barbados and the Crown. This is an interactive blog that I go on from 2008 because once Nancy goes off to work, there's nobody to talk to. And uh, I was amazed at the hate that comes out of these men. Because I know what it is, we're born on the street and uh, passed out facts and, and John Romans. And I've never seen a shark or gone John Romans, even in the gutter when you pass by. And I've never got this, this vitriol, but they are really and truly offered. Two facts are made clear. Christ will come, and the result will be a reign of righteousness, which is taught in verse 13. So the, the teaching of the chapter is eschatological, eschatological, because this is a second coming chapter. It's really a second coming chapter. And we want to really extract that particular juice from the chapter, the second coming aspect. The key verses are those on the screen. Those are two that we most likely have learned ourselves. These were two of 35 verses that were given to us by our first pastor as young people that we had to learn and come in young people's meeting and write out. And uh, those 35 verses, where I went to a whole setup studying to do theological uh, studies. And I found that every time I wrote an essay, that I went to one of those verses. One of those verses came in. And I don't know how he picked out those verses. I really don't know. But these are the two verses that we must know from Second Peter. And I'm, I'm sure that most of us know them already. These are, you can call them standalone verses. You can extract these verses out. Normally, we say that you must not make a text context, out to take a text out of context, because you can make it a pretext. We're very strict about that. You must really rightly divide a text in its context. But these are two verses, and there are some others that you can take, just take them. They speak for themselves. The key word, or the key phrase, is definitely by his word. The obvious emphasis of the passage is the word of God, the commandment of God the promises of God. And one way that you can think of the Bible is that it is a book of promises. And when I wrote my Demon thesis, I actually started reading because I wanted to show and locate the promises in the Old Testament and relate them to the New Testament and to show which pro pro promises had already been fulfilled and which ones had not yet been fulfilled. And I can tell you that the only promises that remain to be fulfilled are the ones that pertain to the second coming. That is to the second phase of the second coming, the epiphania, because the rapture per se is not described in the Old Testament. Although we do have two men who were raptured, Enoch and Elijah. Those two men were raptured, but... The rapture is a New Testament doctrine. The main teaching in the first half of the chapter is about what the Word of God has said and what the Word of God has done or will do. If that is what you get with the chapter, you're on good grazing. The Word of God will deliver on its promises in accordance with God's timetable. That is the clear message from verse 9. The Lord is not slack, not because he don't know what he's doing. It's not, it's not this coming has not just come up on the timetable yet. But friends, it's the next thing on the agenda. And we're pretty close by the word of God there. By word here is meant command or power. 
or the fiat by which the world was created. Fiat looks like very light. Or he just he spoke these things. He just and another scripture said by the breath of his mouth. He will destroy the armies that come against him again by the breath of his mouth. He will not even raise his hand. He will just by the breath of his mouth. That's what he's talking about. That's power. It is by this word that the world was created, and it was by it is by this same word that it will be destroyed. He created the world and he will cremate it at the end time. He did not start things going and then step back and watch them in some evolutionary development as some teach. And as a scoffers describing this chapter, he has had an active hand in his creation. And he has continued to have an active hand in creation by his word. He has an active hand in our lives. And one of the most exciting scriptures must be Daniel chapter 3. The boys in the fiery furnace and the Lord Jesus Christ came down and joined them. You and I do not know how many times he has come down on our behalf. There are stories of missionaries who were told by men who came to kill them that when they came, they saw soldiers and all kinds of men around them. And they said, we, we, we weren't aware that they were around. But these are men that saw whatever they saw, and they desisted from what they were about to do, and they actually got saved as a result. Of course, we know that a similar thing happened at Dothan in the case of Elisha. Okay? When the servant didn't see the soldiers around, but Elisha saw them. So, it's quite exciting. Friends, we now can get to the PowerPoint. Today, we're going to send, we're going to send it out as usual. The scoffers ignore that the creation occurred by the word of God, because they're like the daddy, the devil. I love to tell the fellows and be you that they're like the daddy. All of us are like our daddies in some way. It's just that you're going to get the right daddy. And I, I say that on the authority of the word of God as written in John 8, 44. Jesus said to those mockers and scoffers around him, you are like your daddy, the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He tells lies, it's all a lie, and it has resulted in the murder of all of us. He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And scoffers and false teachers are liars and murderers because they, can, they have the propensity to cause people to go to hell, to die eternally. It's one thing if I cause your death in this life, but if I should teach you wrong and you shall die eternally, that is a serious responsibility. Um, before I forget, I was telling you about these guys that I'm dealing with in Kenya. We raised $1,000 and we sent it to this brother, and it was for one assembly, 13 widows. And because the money was not coming for it, he, he took all the bags of the feed and the fertilizer and put it and shipped it to 55 widows. And I said, man, how could you do that? Are the widows happy? He said, yes, they're happy. I said, why? He said, you see, because we give them quality seed. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever we give out the word of God, we must give quality seed. And he said, the seed that the widows were planting are wild local seed. And it gives a poor harvest. And sometimes that food makes them sick. So when we give them quality seed, even though we didn't give them the whole month, 
that we have planned to give them, they are very happy. And dear friends, when he told me that, that shook me up. That shook me up. And it should shake you up today. Those of us who come up here to teach. Because this thing is being recorded. And it goes on the net. And we don't know whoever will fall on these broadcasts. It's not broadcast. And if we, we must be giving quality seed, we must give the pure word, the sincere milk of the word. The scoffers ignore that it was by the word of God that the heavens existed long ago. They contradict Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9, which is a corroboration of Genesis chapter 1. This Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. This verse corroborates the phrase, And God said, which occurs ten times in Genesis 1, by the phrases, by the word of the Lord, and by the breath of his mouth. And so does the phrases in verse 9, He spake, and he commanded, for he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The phrases, it was done, and it stood fast, in this verse, corroborates the phrase, it was so, which occurs five times in Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> For those of us who spend time in the Word, it, it really gets really, really, really exciting when we see things coming together. You know, I always say, just master a little piece. You know, I got that from Jensen. Jensen says, to, to, to get the whole, you have to execute the parts. See? So you got a part, and you try to master it. And then you master another part. And then you master another part. And after a while, you find that the parts fit together. So like, for instance, this morning, we were talking about Amos being a herdsman and, and he being a, a bruiser. And we could, as soon as I saw that, when I really saw it, when I really saw it, I could see the Lord. You see, because you see, what did he say in, in John 6? He says to search scripture. And what scriptures they had? They had the Old Testament scriptures. It's really easy to see him in the New Testament, in the things that Paul wrote, in the things that John wrote. It's very easy to see him. But in the Old Testament, boy, it is a little bit more different. Like a, a, a few years ago, we talked from Micah. And when I saw that about the breaker, that, oh, that, was, that really was exciting. Because he breaks you know, and he builds up. And when I saw that, I said, yeah, that's Ephesians too. And you go there and you see, because you know that piece. You can put this piece together. Are you with me? You skip this one. So they teach you, whether you're reading um, Bob Jones Sr., how to improve your preaching, or whether you're reading our old Alfred Gibbs book on hermeneutics and all of that. He says a sermon must have a text. Uh, sometimes we don't do that, but today, since this is a promise chapter, this is a promise chapter, and it is a second coming chapter. In the first section, it deals with mocking scoffers who deny God and his promises. That's the issue. They denying promises. Basically because they find that this, they must do this so that they can live lives of sin. But no matter what the scoffers say, it is true, as written in 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. And the glory to glorify God is the final end of the teaching of 2 Peter chapter 3, right? The growing grace and supposed to glorify God. It's grace and glory. Paul loves that too. He does the same thing. Paul does that in his, many of his doxologies, but especially doxology in Romans chapter 16. 
it is grace and glory. It will take probably two days to preach on that topic. So we, I consider this as the text because it's a promise chapter. And every promise gave in God's word is worthy to be believed, but it will come to pass just as he said. Look at the one, look at that verse, Hebrews 6, 18. By two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold. And as you know, Romans Hebrews chapter 6 is really a commentary on Genesis, where the Lord is presented as a, as a lamp or a torch or a flambeau, that is, he is the light of the world, and he's also presented as a burning fire. That is when he comes in judgment. And, 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 Paul, and Paul is saying here in chapter 6 that these things are true. These things are true. And then he marches on to the end of the chapter where he teaches that the Lord is our hope. And I say that's a rope. I'll tell you why. He's our forerunner. He's our anchor. And he entered into the veil as our high priest. So Paul in that scripture merged two beautiful pictures of the Lord. I, I don't know how much sailing you've done. But if you've come from the Bahamas and you're going to sail into Port Everglades or the Port of Hylia down south, the boat comes up and you see a light in the building in the distance. And when you spot that light, you start to see lights in the water. And then a little boat comes. That's the forerunner. Because this is something that's practiced. What Paul saw is practiced today. And the pilot comes aboard. You can't bring a ship into anybody's port without the pilot. And that's why we have songs like Jesus Save the Pilot Me. And with your anchor hold, it's all on this particular, this, that's passing in the uh, Hebrews. We're not going to finish this PowerPoint, so we're going to just teach the word, okay? So bear with me. In those days, because harbors were shallow, you couldn't take your boat into, into port except for high tide. So the anchor was put in the forerunner, which is a little boat, and it was taken into port and tied onto a rock by a rope, right? The Lord Jesus all rope. He's our hope. Scripture says he's our hope. But that is a rope. You see, the thing that connects us to him is a rope called hope. Or better assurance. Fanny possibly is correct. It's not blessed hope. Although we say that in, in Titus 2.11. But it's really blessed assurance. That is a proper translation. It's not a hope so salvation. It is an assured salvation. It's not hope. We don't hope that Jesus will come. We don't hope that we are saved. And I marked some papers of some fellows who were doing this correspondence thing, and they, they were doing the course, and they, 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 they were vacillating about uh, knowing that they're saved. I said, so what I want you to do is to read First John over and over and over for the next two weeks. And by then, you ought to know if you're saved or not. Because John says, these things are written to you who believe that you may know and we know only because we believe you cannot know unless you believe think about it anything that you know is how you believe it may not be true but you believe but the word is true and if you believe it you know it right how do you know whereas abc or one two three or do re mi or A-D-M-E. That's a new one. Uh, that's a new one. Whatever that is. That is absorption, distribution,
metabolism and uh, elimination, you know, and the fellas at the, at the, uh, the cannibalistic commotion in, uh, in uh, John chapter 6, they cannot understand how it will be possible for them to absorb the Lord, you see, polish for his essence to be distributed within their souls, uh, to be metabolized, and to eliminate the insect of sin in their soul. That's what we are talking about this morning. ADME. Are you with me, friends? We absorb the word, and it gets into our bloodstream, our souls, and it metabolizes. See, we sit there, and we pour over it, we pour over it, we call meditation. The word of God is real, and his promise, his presence is real. You know, one day I'm fighting, uh, I was fighting, you know, you're fighting. You're not getting work in this place, you're fighting. And you ask the Lord, why, why, why? And uh, I hear you argue with the Lord, he will answer you. I tell you, he will answer you. And I got an answer. The word is in your heart. The word is nivy, even in your heart. That's Romans chapter 10. In other words, Brooksy, you know in the word of God, where to find the answer that you asked me about. It's in the word of God. He will answer you. And I was there with Arvin. I was, I know I must have been, you know, arguing about those kind of work. And, he, and what is God? And you can always know when it's the Lord who's come, who's speaking, because it comes with the word. You see, when the devil came to Lord Jesus Christ, he answered them three times from the word. Each attack, he answered them with the word. And if the word, if you hear a voice, if you hear a still small voice, you can know who is talking because it's going to give you the word. And this time I heard the foxes have holes and the birds have nests and the son of man don't have a real say. And I thought, hey, I have never, ever had not had a place to lay in my head. And if the Lord God who came down to die for my in the three years he was on the road, spreading the gospel, didn't have some place to lay his head, and I had never had that problem, but then I must be very special. So maybe I should stop arguing and start doubting and start giving thanks. My friend, I tell you something, that scripture is, in Philippians, is the most important scripture. If you give thanks, you really do get the peace that passes understanding. And that's what the world needs today with all the hype and the horror surrounding this virus, which is not really a virus. It is some strange thing that strange thing. It's not acting like how it's supposed to act according to what we were taught in medical school. It's not behaving like it's supposed to behave. So the whole world is all hype. But we can be pretty calm. Because if we go, you know what it says, Paul thought it was better to go in Philippians 1. But he said, you know, I have to stay around to do some more work. And he says, in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5, I think it says, absent from the body, present. So, I don't worry too much about it. Um, but I, 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 I can't always come because you know, I, I am, you know, you have to be who must. The promise of his coming, verse 4, was indeed an actual promise, about which, verse 9 points out, that the Lord is not slack in keeping. And we are told also in verse 13, but according to his promises, this is another promise. We are looking for new heavens and new earth in righteousness dwells. We are struggling with righteousness in this world. But in the world to come, righteousness will be the norm. It dwells is the norm. 
Peter wants us to know, to remind us, this is first, that's why he wrote the books, the books about, to remind us that God's program for God's people, remember he's talking to believers, is based on God's promises, and it's going to be fulfilled in God's time, despite what anybody says. It's not according to anybody's imagination or feelings. It is according to his unfailing word, according to his promise. Second Peter 3 is the second coming chapter. In the first half of the chapter, the focus is on the certainty of the return of Christ and the foolishness of second coming views of the false teachers. In the light of the fact of the creation and of the flood. That is verse 5 and verse 6. In this segment, Peter's purpose is to dismantle the arguments of the false teachers and to urge believers not to waver in their belief, but to continue to live out and to know to be true. The section ends with a clear conclusion that the world was created by the word of God and that the word, world will be cremated by the word of God also. The world that was, was destroyed by water. Verse 5 and 6. The world that is will be destroyed by fire. The world that is to be will never be destroyed. And we will be part of that. The exciting thing about verse 10 is where it says that the, the elements will dissolve. The word for dissolve is luo. And it, has, it means to tie or untie. And that's a real sweet scripture because it's obvious that if God can untie the bonds of the elements in the end time, it's very obvious that he tied them in the first place. He tied them in the first place. He tied them. So it is not true that the world was came into being by a big bang. It will probably end not by a big bang, but by a big fizz. It is said by scholars that the word the word that destroys that describes the activity in, in pretense that to pronounce that word in the, in the Greek, it sounds like what it means, a phase. You're talking about nuclear uh, fission. And uh, what is exciting, when we read other accounts about it, is that it will happen by the breath of his mouth. That's all he has to do. And as he says that, he releases his control over the bonds. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, which describes what no sign that the world is held together by blood. So when he releases it, it's the word of his mouth, or the breath of his mouth, we have a big face. Uh, we will get to see it. We will not be part of it. You know, it, it, it is exciting. You know, most things that we have are own, we have to pay for it. We have to pay dearly for it. It's amazing that we can have so great a salvation, so great a salvation, and all we did for it was to believe. That's the most amazing thing that I've ever heard about. You just got to believe. And you can enter into what is taught in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy, that is called personification, right? Goodness and mercy is really another name for the shepherd, which the, the chapter is talking about. Surely goodness and mercy, and also goodness and mercy, of course, are attributes of the Godhead. Godhead, those are two of the attributes or characteristics of the, God, of the Godhead, goodness and mercy. So that's talking about God. Goodness and mercy shall not follow. It is pursue. A better translation would be pursue. 
You know, follow means, you know, like, you know, you're coming behind and you're running down. No, the God is pursuing me and you to keep us in track. Because we are like, where is she? Always running away from the, the foe. He has to pursue us. Like in Luke 15, right? He went after that sheep and brought it back. That's what he's talking about. In the first verse, uh, Peter uses the word beloved. And he uses it six times in this book. And he wants to connect before he corrects. He's going to correct by stirring up our sincere minds. So he wants us to know. The Lord wants you to know exactly what he's saying about that. I am so glad that Jesus accepts me. Aren't you glad that you met him? Let's say a little bit about that word sincere, because that's one, that's one of Peter's favorite words, you know. He uses it in 1 Peter 2 about the milk. He said the milk was sincere. It is sincere. That's a transliteration into our language. It means without wax. There were people in very kind from there, people that sell milk, and they put water in the milk so they can make more profit. See? That's not pure milk, right? And so, so we got to go pure milk. We have to give it what? Quality seed. Quality seed. And then what happens when we do the ADME without quality, without quality milk? What? Remember, we got, we're going to do ADME now, right? It's going to be absorbed. But you've got to get pure milk. If you put toxins in that milk, that, 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 that stuff is going to get in your soul. So you've got to get pure milk. And it's absorbed. And it's distributed throughout your soul. And you metabolize it when you, metab when you meditate. And, uh, and just like how when Amos nipped the sycamores and released the insect of sin, this is a picture of sin there, it will release the sin, the insect in our lives, the sin in our lives. Right? That's the elimination. Are you with me? That's the ADME. And uh, they had these guys who were selling their pottery alongside the road, and they are dishonest fellows, and some of the pottery is not pure, not good pottery. And they gloss it over with wax, and they advertise it, and they, you know, it's good pottery. And the persons who are, who are selling proper pottery advertise their pottery as sine sere, without wax. So when you write a letter and you sign it sincerely, you'll say, all the things I've said are true and genuine. And that's what he's talking about. And what does he want to do? We've got five minutes or so left. He wants to stir up, and uh, you know, I was uh, meditating a night this week, and I said, Lord of mercy, what am I going to tell these people on Sunday mornings about stirring up? And the only thing, friends, I could think about is what we call back here, is a bouillon, a bouillon, a bouillon of a soup, see? And you, you throw in the uh, pumpkin, probably fine, so the soup comes out. And you throw in a little scotch ball of pepper, and give it a little zing. And you're throwing onions and everything that you find, according to what you have. You probably got stuff growing on the on the uh, ceiling or in the yard or whatever. You throw all of that in the pot and you make a soup. That's a bouillon. That is nothing like a bouillon. When I was meditating about that night, I got up in the morning and I called my mother and I said, "Mommy, thank you for all the bouillon that you made. It's nothing like a bouillon. And what is the bouillon that Peter wants?" To stir up all the things, all the promises in the word that we have learned by coming to meetings like this and reading and studying. There's a lot of promises. And you want to stir that up. You stir it up. So I can come up to the top. 
you know, and you remember it. You get the picture, friends? So when you think of this verse, he's turning, make it a soup. I know you never had a boon, but I'm sorry about that. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you get the picture. And, and you know that you, you got a part that you have poured into that all song, a lot of songs that we sing with words, a lot of scriptures that you memorize, a lot of scriptures that you meditated on, all that kind of thing. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, if you will stir up your pure minds, and we're not, we, 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 we not being false about this, you see, that's why it's sincere mind. He's talking to genuine believers. He's talking to people who really sincerely love the Lord and his word, right? Sincere minds. And he's going to stir it up. He tells at the end of the first half, he talks about the day of the Lord. And there are a lot of passages that speak about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is any day when the Lord intervenes in what is happening on earth. And if you read William MacDonald's book, um, uh, William MacDonald has a very good article that explains what the day of the Lord is. You can find it on net. I read it some years back. Um, but in this particular um, edition of the day of the Lord, Peter's talking about a time when Jesus comes for his church and continues in his judgment. There's one thing I would like to say as the time rolls by. The scoffers said, where is the promise of his, that's a very technical thing that they said, where is his parousia? Where is the parousia? If you like that pronunciation. That means the Lord's coming and remaining. They say he never came, and he certainly has not remained if he ever came. And one of the things about these coffers, these coffers that you will meet, they know the Bible, they just don't dwell on the part that we dwell on. And they, they're mockless. They actually, this is a thing that they actually mock. But where did he ever come? And he certainly didn't stay. You see, they know what they're talking about. This is not coming just came. This is coming and staying. You see, don't you make me professor Bible at Lake Hall. I'm coming with my staff because, you know, I got these weak legs now. And I'm coming with my staff as well. And I'm going to stay at the back in the house in the back. I will remain. Are you with me? I'm entrenched. They say he didn't do that. Is that true? But he went away at the station. But did he remain? He has. He went away because as man, he could only be one place at a time. But as God, when he put back on his garment, uh, you know, David likes to talk about the Lord putting on garments, as in Psalm 93. When he went back and put, took back on his mantle that he, he took off his side and he kenosis in Philippians chapter 2. He can be everywhere at every time. And he promised that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he will be in the midst. Was he lying? So he has remained. He's here today. Are we saying it? Jesus, Lord, we know the present. And you know what it is. You know what it is. To feel his presence. The only body that, that can say, where is the, where is the presence? The promise of it. Then show me how you have a king. Well, of course, they deny the first one. Okay? And all of it. Whatever it means. The substance of it. That we like to talk about all of that. They deny that. And they think, well, you know what I mean? If I want to sin like I like, I got through the Bible there, because that Bible ain't challenging my thing. And all of us know from our little days as children, the thing that we wrote in our first little Bible. What do we write in the first little Bible, anyone know? This book 
will keep me from sin. And sin will keep me from this book. And we all know that. And we try to practice that. So we don't talk foolishness. Because we know that if we are sinning, it's because we haven't been in the book regularly or recently. Is that right? So we don't scoff. But the scoffers, they, they don't know that. They didn't go to Sunday school anymore. Then have Christian parents to teach them that one thing. If that's all you're going to teach your parents, don't you? It's <laughs> a very good job. All they're going to do is teach you that what you said in Joshua 1 8. This book of the law does not depart from thy mouth. But thou shalt be educated therein day and night, for then thou shalt have good success. Well, if you just stick with that and what? We want in our Bibles. We are not going to scoff. We thank God as we close that Jesus did actually come the first time and that he died. For all of us. And I thought we searched that thing about Amos. You know, that scripture came to me from Psalm. That he said, I am a worm and no man. He became an insect, like an insect. And he had to be bruised so he could be the sin remover, as Zechariah 3 says. Zechariah 3 9. He's called the sin remover. And he had to be bruised so he could remove the sin that resides in me. The sin that resides in you. It's one thing to be saved from sin. It's another thing to have him come and pinch or nick or bruise or fruit so that that insect can leave. Are you with me? The word is too sweet. It will give you diabetes, but still read it. We call it close. I have enjoyed this. This has been fun. I haven't I've not gone anywhere. I, I probably should not have studied so hard. <laughs> But I hope that you have enjoyed the little that we have said, because this this is this book, this chapter is too is too is too deep. I liken it to a, an ortony, and you may not have ever seen it, but an ortony is a small citrus fruit you meet when you first come. That's where Soros is from. Soros, small uh, citrus fruit, and that little fruit has in more juice in it than a standard orange. So these, these little verses are like ornaments. And they look like little fruits. But if you squeeze them, you cannot really contain the, the juice. Now. So we're very sorry that we can't go verse by verse. That's why I invite you. Because I got a lot of attempts at verse by verse. So I hope that you still got some blessing from the little bit of analysis that we have done. And of course, we will have a team sent out the PowerPoint to all in Sunday in the fellowship. Let's give thanks um, for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came and that he has remained. He has remained in us through his Holy Spirit. And he comes. He comes often. You do not know, but he comes. He actually comes in your home. He comes next to you on your bed when you're meditating. He comes. He actually comes. Not only the Spirit that is in you, but he himself comes. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, and we thank you for any juice that we can extract from it. There's so much. But when we get the master a little piece, we are so excited. There's nothing that makes us more excited. And we thank you for that. Lord, we, we ask you to be patient as you are wont to be as you seem to have great difficulty, as you nip us, we seem to be reluctant to let the insect sin in our lives. But we thank you for that 
special promise in Jude 24, that you will not only prevent us from falling and not being able to get back out, but you are one day going to present us as forwards to the Father. We thank you for these promises. We thank you for this. As we walk on this difficult road, as we run our race, it is a comfort to have such promises to take with us on the way. And we thank you for this. And we pray in his most worthy name. Amen.